welcome to the Nerd Party. Maximum warp. Punch it. Punch it. Punch it, Bishop! Punch it. Punch that shit! Let's punch it. Hello, everybody at home, and welcome. This is Punch It! Writing in Star Trek. I'm your co-host, Tristan Riddell, and with me, as always, is... Charlene Schmidt. Charlene, we, uh, we've been having fun, haven't we? We have been having a lot of fun lately. Our what-ifs and our reconstruction of characters that we know and love, we've had a pretty decent run. But you know what? You know what we need to do? I think I do know what we need to do, but how about you say it? <laughs> sure. Let's do an episode on The Fly, the wheelhouse that makes this podcast tick. It's, yes, this was uh, basically this concept, the on the fly, which so much of our stuff is on the fly. Like when we find a either a plot hole or a character gap or we do a what if story, so much of it is on the fly. True. And you guys are listening to it, li- not live, but you're listening to it live to tape. But this one specifically on the fly is we have no concept, no character, no series, no nothing, no backstory, absolutely nothing to go off of. Yep, we start from scratch. It is completely on the fly with the whiteboard swiped clean. And uh, that's what we're going to be doing today. And again, like we, we have nothing, we have nothing in mind, nothing to go off of. So let's go ahead and get to that today because we've been getting a lot of positive feedback on our what ifs and we've, and our character changes and everything like that. But you need a break. I mean, all, all things, you need, <laughs> well, you need to take a rest on all things. We, you know, all good things are great in moderation. So we don't want to exhaust this nice little streak that we've been on. We do need to change it up just a little bit. And also, I think for our creative minds, this exercise is really good for us because we really do start from nothing. And then what you hear is exactly as it goes. I mean, we're at a point now on this podcast where we really don't edit that much. We just do this, you know, a little how the sausage is made, so to speak. (laughs) It's true, actually. I was actually just interviewed about the nerd party, and uh, I'll give you guys uh, details on that later on. It's for a, a website publication. But cool. uh, one thing that I was talking about was how Punch It is made versus how my other show, Nerd Nuptial, is made, and <laughs> how 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 much easier it is to record in person because, like, I live <laughs> with my wife, obviously, and so I can uh, you know we can record and we do live to tape, and then boom, intro and outro, and it's done. But you and I have been are recording. Like I'm in the Chicagoland area, you're in the Los Angeles area, and so we've been recording remotely ever since we started this. What seven years ago? This partnership together since 2012, baby. But we've been doing it so much that we're almost to live to tape. Like that's pretty much what it is. Like that and what we can do. Yeah, it's really close, barring internet difficulties. That's kind of the one mm. thing that we do take out. Yes. Yes, but, absolutely. There are certain times when we accidentally interrupt each other or we're like, oh, hey, Char, why are you frozen in the face? Oh, that's why, because the internet's crap. <laughs> right, right, yes. And as we record this, it's raining in Los Angeles, heaven forbid, and our infrastructure <laughs> can't handle any kind of weather whatsoever. So we're taking a calculated risk today. <laughs> I used to live, as you know, I used to live in Los Angeles for a brief period of time, brief period yeah. of time. Yeah, y- you need to come back, man. 
<laughs> one of my favorite, I, I remember, because I didn't quite understand this, is that like I was walking in Los Angeles, which is something people don't do. I was it's walking rare. and it was barely raining. I'm saying barely raining. I mean, like I was walking down the street and very comfortable, wasn't blinking or rushing from door to door. Yeah. It was misting. It's like in the Midwest, it would, you wouldn't even register it as 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 water. And then I saw all these signs on all these business doors that said closed due to the rain. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. That's how Los Angeles works. If there is so much as a drop of rain, everything stops. <laughs> it was, I was like, as this Midwestern boy is walking through Los Angeles, I'm just like, what on earth is going on? Yeah, it was a little bit of a shock to me at first. Also, the way the highways just come to a standstill, even more than usual, is oh, it's it's pretty sad and dangerous. And basically, you you have one of two choices. You either don't go out, just, just don't go out. You stay home. It's like a snow day, only it's a rain day. Or you take your chances and you are having, oh, sometimes double the regular commute that you would normally have. And in LA, a commute of, of an hour one way is not unheard of at all. So that's, I mean, it's crazy town. You know, that act, This got me thinking, okay, so... To bring it back to Star Trek, that's one thing yeah. that we, we don't get a lot of daily life in Star Trek, like daily no. civilian life. That's something that I've always been interested in, and I know that it wouldn't make a great show, and there's a reason <laughs> why we don't really see it. And like, remember when when Discovery was coming out and then they were saying that they were going to be doing other shows and spinoffs and things like that, people are like, oh, I would love to see X, Y, and Z. And they're never any good. Those ideas are yeah. never any good. They're just like, uh, uh. oh, I want to see a a, a a Star Trek medical show. And I'm just like, w- why? why? And like, I want to see a Star <laughs> Trek law show. I was like, it's fiction. It's sci-fi. But, Everything's yeah, made yeah, up. Okay, guys, we already have ER... We've had how many incarnations of NCIS and Law and My Order? Goodness. I mean, those yeah. shows exist. We don't need Star Trek spin on that. Now, that said, we do know that the Picard show is coming out late next year. We just got that announcement as we're recording today, and That's I'm right. pretty stoked. That probably means trailers next summer at San Diego Comic-Con or even Star Trek Las Vegas. And so, hooray. That's really not that much time, if you think about it, nah. if they stick to it. Because you remember how often oh. they pushed off Discovery? I just now remember yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, good point. That's not set in stone. And, and the hope is, if they do end up needing to take more time, that it's worth the wait. I have a feeling it will be. I expect a good quality. Patrick Stewart wouldn't sign on for anything. It's not like he needs the money. It's true. It's true. Now, uh, to go back to what I was saying... With civilian daily life in Star Trek, how how is the I mean, like commuting wise, like say you you're living in France and you want to work in San Francisco, you would just beam, right? But you, that's impractical for everybody. So, I've or is wondered, it? That's okay. would it be? What if we wrote a story about this about average daily? <laughs> life on earth (laughs) oh come on there's got to be some way we can make this interesting for a short story like a little 15 page story we can outline this we can do this well okay so what if what if we turn like let's actually we could turn it on its head instead of doing a what if narrative story what if we talk about what is 24th century life like you Ah. know like what what does that look like from from our heads and from what we know. Like you and I both have an encyclopedic knowledge of Star Trek. So what does it look like? So yeah. you say maybe it's not impractical. 
but I think it would be. I mean, like we got some in the novels where I think in the homecoming novels where I think Janeway was going out with some friends and they all went to the teleporter hub or whatever, something like that, like the local <laughs> the local yeah. transportation room and a teleporter, whatever it's called. Yeah, and, some uh, sort of um, public transportation system. It's just beaming. It's just, yeah, something like that. And so that leads me to believe that you have to go to a hub. It's not like everybody's doing site-to-site transport. And I severely oh, doubt sure. they're like the latest, you know, everyone, like the 7-Eleven has a has a transporter pad or something like that. So there's got to be <laughs> some sort of... 7-Eleven's in the future. Hmm. I, I say they ex- they still exist, but... It's good so to know do Slurpees you have, have cars? made it. Like do, like, do you have cars? Do you have shuttle services? Like, because in the Kelvin universe, we saw cars and we saw... We saw cars. cars with wheels, and we, we, yeah, we saw cars with wheels, and we saw hover cars, and we saw shuttles. But that's the Kelvin universe. I want to stay out of that. So okay. I want to. I don't want to stick to what we've seen in the Prime universe, mainly the 24th century. So what do you think it's like? Like, how do people get from where they're going? Like, if they live locally, I think it's a little mix, like of a lot of things. I think there are hover cars. There are still some cars on wheels for probably a nostalgic factor more than anything but also if you've got cars in the air and you've got cars on the ground you're utilizing both forms of transport Mm -hmm. maybe people can get around a little more easily and maybe if say on the ground if you have a shorter trip that takes five minutes that's just as fast as going in the air but if you go in the air maybe you can go longer distances in quicker time than you can on the ground if you know the difference between driving and flying essentially and i don't know maybe there's still things like a subway system that you've got underground uh, systems, you know, in major cities. But then you've got the public transport hubs for people who have really long commutes, people going from Mexico City over to Paris or to Stockholm or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I I think it's a variety of things. It's not any one thing. They're not narrowed down to just beaming. Also, shuttle services. Yeah. Okay. That's that. That's what I'm. That's what I'm wondering about. Is like, do people have personal transportation anymore like do they have a car or do Mm. they is is there just like uber of the future where you just call a car and it comes and it takes you wherever it takes you to the hub that's a good question i mean yeah is it the thing where like i don't know i do only the elites who need personal shuttles have them but it's not like affordability is the issue it's just a matter of wanting see that's what i think that's another thing is that we're we're dealing with a society that no longer has elites, you know, so it really, the, the elites, quote unquote, would really be like, like high, you know, I don't know, it wouldn't necessarily be ranking. due to wealth, it would be maybe power and necessity. So like Admiral Paris might have a personal shuttle, but your average person who, I don't know, is a biologist, maybe not, maybe they have to use the public transport hub, but then there's still inequality there. It, is that's not Star Trek? Well, I think that's it ne- it's not necessarily inequality. It would be necessity for the job. Like if you're a government official or if you're working with Starfleet or something like that, maybe it's not a quote unquote personal shuttle, but you have access to things more often than you would if you were just the average citizen. Like mm. Grandpa Cisco, he's not going to have access to a Starfleet shuttle to take him where he needs to go, and he's no. not going to have access to site to site transporting. But if Admiral Paris clicks on his his communicator and says, I need to get to Paris now. 
You know, like, so, <laughs> and then he he's going to get that site-to-site transport because he's an admiral in Starfleet. But true, true. Joe Schmo <laughs> contacts somebody and says, like, hey, I need to get to Zimbabwe in, like, 10 seconds. They're going to say, go screw, you know, like, then, <laughs> you know, like, get, right. a, get a, like. Or, yeah. or, I don't know, does, does Cisco have his own personal shuttle that isn't quite that instantaneous, but he has access to it whenever he wants, sort of like how most of us have our own car? I think I choose to believe that it's a little bit different. I, again, like I know we saw a lot of this in the Kelvin universe, but I, again, I'm ignoring it <laughs> because we never really saw it. I love the, I, like when Uber came out, when Uber and Lyft came out, I was all on board. I was yeah. like, this is fantastic. This is the future. This is amazing. Cause I hate taxis, but I love Uber because everything's done through the app. I don't have to worry about tipping because it's all incorporated into the, te- into the app. I, click where I want to go, somebody comes by, picks me up, and then drops me off, and then I wave if I like them, and then walk (laughs) away. And I feel like because there's no longer the driving, like because, as Picard said, is that the the accumulation of wealth is no longer the driving force in our lives, I feel like the need for that kind of personal property isn't really necessary if you have a ride available to you. And also... Hmm. At the, by this time, we would have drones. By the 24th century, drones would be absolutely perfected. So if you didn't, if you needed to get to a transport hub and you don't feel the need to own a car, then you call one. It comes and pick you up and takes you to a hub, or it's like a shuttle service where multiple people get picked up and you go to the hub or something like that. Hmm, because okay. already they're they're kind of dealing with that kind of thing uh, uh, testing that kind of thing like they want to make yeah personal helicopters a thing uh-huh where like you have a helicopter pilot but it's a cheap small cheaper smaller helicopter and it can hold like eight people hmm. and you all like you all go to the top like you go to a skyscraper or something like that and then or like to the tallest building in your area and you all meet there at the same time, and then they take you downtown. Like if you live in the suburbs, you have this this helicopter ride that takes you to to downtown, and so it's not you don't have to own a helicopter. You can you don't you it, you just pay a fare, and so they make it to they make it economical. So if we're already dealing with this kind of thing happening in the next 10, 15 years, then by the twenty fourth century, it's got to be even more simplified than that, right? Right. You would think and you would hope. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you, you would think and you would hope. Exactly. Yeah. Let's say you're not close to a beaming station or what have you. You call for a shuttle, something dispatches and it's on its way and there it be and you pilot it wherever the heck you want. And also think about 911 in the future. Yeah. Like 911, like, uh, like I've been, I've been phasered my, you know, my foot's, you know, fallen off. <laughs> they say, okay, we'll beam you to the operating room right now. Right. Yeah. You don't even have to dispatch paramedics. You can go to them. And in that instance, I would say a site to site beam is necessary. Right. And so no matter who you are, whether you're Admiral Paris or Joe Schmo, like you're going to get that site to site transport. Right. Right. Okay. Then that's cool. I want to live in that right. future. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And free healthcare. <laughs> oh my God. Concept. Yes, yes. Okay, now that that is an amazing idea right there. That is Star Trek at its finest, knowing that that's a thing. So besides transportation. Yeah, let's talk about, well, housing. Let's talk about that. What does that yes. look like? 
how does how does housing work? How does that look like? <laughs> well, Because okay, okay here, here's a question: Do we know how many people live on Earth in the 24th century? Nine billion. Nine billion. Okay, so it's roughly about the same amount as there are on Earth right now. Well, there's seven billion right now. I th I thought we surpassed that. Oh God, did we? Oh, I, I, I mean, I I don't actually know, and I won't look it up right now, but I had a feeling that we surpassed that. I, I don't know. I just had this weird feeling that we already hit 9 billion. We are at 7.7 .7 billion right now. Oh, okay. Well, and that's already too many. <laughs> so we're already facing certain challenges with population on Earth right now at 7 billion. Mm -hmm. So 9 billion. We've got 2 billion more people on Earth. This tells me a couple of things. We probably need to start building upward, especially mm -hmm. in major cities, assuming that major cities are still hubs on on planet Earth, which it seems like they are. San Francisco is still San Francisco and what have you. Yeah, yeah. So you got to build upward because the sprawl, I mean, it doesn't matter as much with or transporting and what have you, but it does strike me that that would be the way to go. So do a lot more people live in things like apartments? I think with what like with 1.5 billion more, I know this sounds like a ridiculous statement, but in terms of the earth, that is not that much more than what we're <laughs> dealing with now. I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's really not because think about when we were little, it was closer to what? Five billion? It, or it was. Like that? Yeah. Well, and in the 24th century, things like pollution, And resource management are very different. Right. We won't have to worry about garbage as much. We won't have to worry about resources as like much. Like water distribution, clean water. Renewable energy or anything like that. And so yeah. I've, like, that's the thing is that like take some of the deserts in Africa and the Middle East and even in Mexico or, or the Western United States, those areas would become more livable. And more right. serviceable towards humans because we've been able to become masters of our own environment in a much in a way that we're not now. Like if we can terraform Mars, we can add green houses to the Sudan. You know, like we can do we can do that in the 24th century. So I feel like we'll be able to I feel like you'll definitely go up a little bit, like you said, but I feel like we would go out a little bit more too, like in the in the in the areas that are more inhospitable right now. Like we would uh -huh. be able to take a section of the Sahara and figure out how to make that livable. Certainly. So, yeah, I mean it would be a, a much more stable environment than things are now and much more controlled. Yes, much more controlled because we have the weather net and 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 everything yeah. like that, which we know is a thing. And also because we have I mean, just because there's nine billion entities you know, nine billion souls on earth doesn't mean they're all human. And True. it it does mean that there could be billions and billions and billions and billions more elsewhere. Oh, you know? yeah, absolutely. We know humans are all over the galaxy now. Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like that is like a good number. I feel like the reason I really appreciated that in first contact when we got that number, like when actually, I guess I should, uh, I guess we can't necessarily go by that number because in first contact, when Data said 9 billion, he was talking about a Borg population in an alternate future. Oh, oh, okay. Here's the weird thing is I thought Picard said that, but no, you are right. And that was, uh, that was the altered scenario of what would happen if the Borg took... Oh, shoot. No, we can't use that. I, I, for lack of a better number, 
Let's use that. Yeah. You know what this also tells us, assuming that this is a correct number, regardless of the timeline, is that things have leveled off in terms of human population growth. Things did have to reach a certain level of sustainability, which is Mm -hmm. not a bad thing. I mean, the human race is not going extinct with 9 billion people. It's just not. (laughs) And especially no, with like, yeah. you know, advances in medical care, people are living a good quality of life. It's not like a plague is going to wipe us out. Uh, no. And unless there was like, unless the Zindi came by, you know, like that's, that's pretty <laughs> sure, much. Sure, sure. Or the, a Borg invasion. I mean, th- th- there's yeah. certainly possibilities here, but the point being humans are doing very well. And there's, I think, maybe less of a need to just, you know, explosively reproduce because people aren't dying off before they're 30. Yes. And I th- I'm so glad that you brought that up because when uh, when data said approximately 9 billion, like that's what I was thinking. I was just like, oh, there should be there should be a lot like if if trends continue, there should be a lot more by the 24th century. But, you know, birth control is much easier um, uh, provided you use it, yes. Provided like you use it, unlike Benjamin. Yeah. Um, Ugh, you can't count on men for anything. <laughs> Sorry, and, uh oh, That's all right. And also, like, a, like, food is no longer an issue, so everybody's fed, and people right. can just go out and go to colonies. Aliens come in. So it feels like we found an equilibrium. So I'm really glad that you, that, that you talked about that. Yeah. We can go off and be artists and scientists and... <laughs> That that old joke that we have where that people can joke. go live their best life. And and so because of that, I felt like we don't really have to worry about overpopulation. We won't have to worry about things going up or out. It's just like we can work with the space that we have. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of like the living scenario is and I feel like living in cities would go down, honestly. You think so? You think people want more space then? I don't need I don't even think it's necessarily because they want more space. It's because so many people move to the cities for work. True, and that's no longer an issue. Yeah, exactly. Like like I live in the burbs and I commute to Chicago for work and it takes uh-huh. me an hour sometimes, sometimes longer. <laughs> I don't know how you deal with that. I listen to a lot of stuff. Um but because <laughs> of that like I would Either I would take like the super ultra fast rail that really only takes like five or 10 minutes to get downtown. Right. Or if I, I could take a, a transporter hub given like if or like if that was available to me. So like anyway, like my commute would not be an hour anymore. And so I would Definitely not, not. I, I wouldn't even have to live in the burbs. Like I could live back home like where I grew up if I wanted to and work right. in Chicago. Which is like what, two hours away? It's like about two and a half to three hours away. Yeah. And so ah. I'd be able to do that or I'd be able to like live. I'd be, be able to be next door neighbors to you and yeah. work in uh, in uh, Brazil if I wanted to. You know, like there's yeah. there's no limit. That's true. That's so very true. Yeah. So then we need to discuss maybe the logistics of why cities are still cities. You know what I mean? Where it's not just this endless thing of sprawl. Cities are still hubs, I guess, because of just the convenience of the commerce being there in the first place. Because, I mean, even with things like the internet, it doesn't matter so much like where you are if people want to order, say, a product out of my store. The fact that I'm in Los Angeles doesn't matter to somebody in, I don't know, Missouri, because I can give them three-day shipping. Now, they have to pay for it, but... It's not where I'm limited just to where I live, if that makes sense. 
It so does. why and why do cities need to be cities? I I think that's the thing is that like it it's I think the importance of the city goes down except for the cultural experience or the the people who want that experience of having lots of people around them. That's yeah, that's a good point because we know in the future New Orleans is still New Orleans. And San Francisco is still San Francisco and Paris is still Paris. I mean, we right. we so know that London tradition. is still London. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, and there are going to always be people who want to be surrounded by millions of other people. They want the busy city life. They want the hustle and the bustle. Whereas there's going right. to be people who want to live way out in the boonies, Picard's Vineyard, and live a simpler, quieter life where your next neighbor is five miles away. That's my dream. That's the dream for me is to have oh, really? a house in the middle of nowhere but still have access to everything that I want to have access to. Ah, ah. See, now I kind of played both sides against the middle. I'm in the suburbs of LA, but I've got proximity to the action in the big city if I want it, but I'm not mm-hmm. in the middle of it. I, you know, I'm not going to get bombarded by constant noise and the constant bombardment of the intensity that is living in a city. I have my nice quiet town home <laughs> in the suburbs, so I feel like I get the best of both worlds in that way. But I don't want to live in the middle of nowhere. I lived in Wyoming, and even though I was in a city <laughs> there, that was too much for me. Well, see, that's the thing, though, is that you can live in the middle of nowhere and still have downtown shopping at your fingertips. And right. you, like, you wouldn't have to trek 10 miles to the nearest grocery store. <laughs> you know, like you would have right, the shell right. service. You would have the transporting it if you need it and everything like that. Now, OK, there's I, I, I wanted to look up one of my favorite quotes, and I feel like the 24th century is a great encapsulation of this and an environmental message because like we were talking about how we no longer have to worry about world hunger we don't have to worry about drought we don't have to worry about war disease and famine and obviously we're talking about humans when we're when we're dealing with that because we don't want to wipe ourselves out but at the same time we don't want to wipe out the environment and this is this is my favorite david attenborough quote and the reason why i'm thinking about this is because i feel like maybe by the 24th century we will get this right so here's his quote david attenborough using his burgeoning intelligence this most successful of all mammals has exploited the environment to produce food for an ever-increasing population. Instead of controlling the environment for the benefit of the population, perhaps it's time we control the population to allow the survival of the environment. It's absolutely true. This reminds me of a bit that George Carlin did in on one of his HBO specials where he talked about the planet. People say, save the planet. No, no, no. The planet is going to be fine. The people are the ones that are going to go extinct because we're killing off ourselves. We're not killing off the planet. The planet will be fine. It might take millions of years, but after a while, once the human race is gone, if it ever goes out, we're just going to be a little footnote in the history of the Earth, much like the dinosaurs. The planet will be fine. We are the ones that are going away. I watched a movie last night that was... Have you ever heard of the movie Downsizing? No. It's a movie with Matt Damon where technology... Sorry, Matt Damon. <laughs> um, where technology exists where you can get shrunk to five inches tall. <sighs> and so people are doing it because if you have like, say, $100,000, that would actually be, that would be an equivalent of $12 million as a miniature person. <laughs> okay. And so people are doing that and they have these little tiny communities and everything like that. And they marketed it as a comedy like, oh, this look at this comedy with wacky premise. That's how the movie was for like the first 20 minutes. And then after that, it was a serious drama about environmentalism. And uh-huh. I'm just like, what the hell am I watching? 
<laughs> and it was not a good movie, but the message oh, was good dang. for the most part. There was actually there was a lot wrong with it, but it, regardless, there was one quote that I really loved from it, and like they were dealing with the extension extinction of the human human race, and one guy was saying two hundred thousand years for humans. That's ridiculous. Will barely be a footnote in history. Even the alligator have, has been around for two hundred million years. <laughs> yep, they're gonna live on. Cockroaches will live on, and the ants forever. So, with Star Trek, since we don't have to worry about that anymore, you and I have actually talked about this at length. I don't know if we've done it on Punch It, but we've did it, we've done it on To the Journey, our previous Star Trek show, where we talked about the beauty of choosing a career without having to worry about money. Yes. Yes. Again, people can be artists, scientists, whatever they choose to be. And because they don't have to make money, they can cultivate that however they want. They can go at their pace. They can be as good as they want to be. It's like everybody has the chance to be the master at whatever they choose to be. I feel like there's always that question of, well, what about the lazy people? You know, what about the people (laughs) who don't want to work? There's always going to be a, a section of the population that's like that. They just, they want to be low lives. They just want to take, take, take and not give back. And it's a very anti-Starfleet ideal, but that is human nature. Well, there, okay, there's the rub, is that Star Trek constantly talks about how human nature has changed. We have evolved as a society. And yeah, but. But, 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 <laughs> but, I'm with you. Big butt, big butt. Is that there's still evil people? They'll st- they're still murderers. They're still, mm-hmm. you know, like we still see humans in the future who are obsessed with money. Like we see people who try to rob the Enterprise who are humans, yeah. and not just like humanoid aliens, but humans. And so, the headcanon that I have is that they grow up on Earth and they're just like I can't stand these namby pambies humans anymore. Like I want to live a life of luxury. I don't want to work. I don't want to do any of this BS. I am out of Earth. And that is a genuine option for you. Yes. In the 24th century. If you don't like Earth, you can leave at no cost to you. Right. You can go pretty much anywhere. Do whatever you want. Also, another faction of people we want to consider are people who are going to think that this lifestyle is too soft. They believe in survivalism and the forcing of evolution through struggle. I mean, those are probably the people who go off and do like the Amish colonies like we see a lot in Star Trek where they cultivate the land and they live hard. And <laughs> that That's fine. But again, they have that option to do that. It's too secure. It's too cushy for them. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's a, they can leave or they can get like a plot of land. Maybe they can petition for it and say like, I want to live off the grid here. Leave me alone. I won't take any of your resources. You won't have to worry about me. Maybe that's an option for people. And and the thing with me is that, like, and as we've talked about this before, is that I would work. I would absolutely work if I didn't, if I wasn't getting paid. I would absolutely 100% work if I wasn't getting paid, if my needs were being met. And I feel like millennials, our generation, I think you're just at the tip of it, right? Like you're, you're, you're an elder edge. millennial. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I am an old millennial. Yes, I am. No, no, elder, elder, elder oh. millennial. <laughs> that it's sounds much so more, much better. Thanks. I, I think it sounds better. <laughs> and so you're an elder millennial. I'm smack dab in the middle of it. And I believe that our generation, I know people are going to roll their eyes so freaking hard, but I believe that our generation is the first generation to really 
truly understand this where they're just like, yeah, we would totally do what we love if we didn't have to worry about a paycheck. No, I absolutely agree. And you, I think we see that with people advocating for things like universal basic income. And I know I, this is not a political podcast and we're not taking no, 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 any no. kind of science. We're not talking about socialism. We're not talking about communism. Well, I mean, in a sense we are, but we're not talking about like the benefits of socialism or the benefits of no. communism because we all know that the the negative sides of that, of course, of course, of course, of course. Yes, But, but the what point we're being... talking about, <laughs> the point being is, is that this generation, the millennial generation and younger understand that. And it's not out of laziness. It's I don't want a mansion. I don't no. want 19 cars. I live in an area where I can't even afford a three-bedroom house because of taxes. Right, right. Or just simply the unaffordability of housing in general. A lot of people in our generation, they're not having children. They're not buying houses because they can barely feed themselves. You know, we're talking like basic, basic struggles. And so I think out of that, our generation is the first to advocate for a more Star Trek-like future where... As the most educated generation, college-educated generation that has ever existed in this country, in the United States, we're saying if we had the freedom like people do on Star Trek, things would be very different. But we are the first generation that's not better off financially than Mm -hmm. our predecessors, and we're feeling it hardcore. I think that's why a lot of people, and I think a, a big portion of why Star Trek is so popular with our generation is because one, we were raised on it. Like we yep. were, you know, like we were in our teenage years during the nineties, our formative years. Yep. And so we, the golden age of Trek was when we were in our own age of, of, you know, coming of age. And so today we're feeling the effects of anti-Trek hard. Right. And so we retreat to Star Trek and to the 24th century. And of course, you raise us on the positive aspects of the 21st century. We grow up to adults and we want more of that. And you are surprised. Right? <laughs> you, you, you're, nobody should be shocked that we want this to be real. Star Trek it is our ideal and we want to create that world. I hope our generation and those that come after us do. I do too. I mean, that's the thing is that like, yes, there's negatives to Gene Roddenberry's vision. Yes, there's negatives to the to the perceived aspects of the 21st century. No one is arguing that. Don't add us. Don't write us. <laughs> not about um, that anyway. Not about that specifically, but we we get it, okay? We get it. But like the the positives of the of the 21st century, hell yes, I want that because I would have a medium a medium-sized house that serviced my needs for my wife and my child and hopefully another child. And I would still work, whether that was in the video industry or my wife and I would run a theater or something like that. And there would no longer be any any of this crazy comment about how, well, oh, well, you're not really you're not really contributing to the economy, so you're worthless. Well, screw you. I'm con- contributing to society. <laughs> right. Yeah. I know about this dream that you and your wife have of running a theater. And I honestly think in the 24th century, that is exactly what you would be doing because financially you wouldn't have to worry about providing for your family. You could be just in pursuit of the arts. And it makes you wonder, how do you get that space? Like say <laughs> my wife and I were in the 24th century. We had a house. We're, we're educated. You know, we have a child. Do you requisition? You know, like what do you requisition? Like how, how does that happen? Like, oh, we want to open a theater. Well, you don't need to go to a bank to get a loan. 
So do you go to like some, do you go to the city board and say, I'd like to open a theater? And they're like, "Uh, sure, I guess if you have a good reason or if you have a business plan or you have an idea of how it work and we can allot this space for you or, and if maybe if not enough people visit your building, does it get taken away? You know, like how does that work? That's so like... Or does it need to be connected to some sort of preservational purpose? Like it's an old theater and you guys are running it and you're keeping it going by putting new productions out there or or something to that effect. I don't know. It's really, really fascinating because there has to be some sort of, there's got to be some sort of intrigue because like say I run a theater and I put on horrible shows and nobody (laughs) likes them. And so we haven't had a visitor to the theater in six months or a year does the city come in and say besides you obviously does the city (laughs) come in and say okay we're gonna take the theater away because no one's using it and we're not just gonna let you have all that space but if space is not an issue does it matter but then if space in a city is an issue right like like if you're downtown i mean space is going to be an issue because they can't just give everybody everything like And that's the thing is that like, even if I didn't want it for financial means, like I'm not running a theater to get rich. No, you're there for the arts. Okay, so here's what we do is I run a coffee shop in your theater Mm -hmm. that makes coffee the old fashioned way with manual labor and machines and what have you. It's not that replicated crap. And Captain Janeway, whenever she's on earth, she's going to be my biggest customer. We're going to do fine. I, I I imagine we would, and I would love that scenario. Honest to God, I would love that scenario. <laughs> it would be but amazing. It just makes you wonder, like, how does that work? And I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer. No, I, I really don't either. Um, I'm drawing a blank as well, just because of the logistics that space is not an issue. Business is not necessarily an issue. What is the issue? Is it interest? And if it's not, then what? I mean, yeah, running through this again and again, I have no answers. Because I feel like you would still need a city planner because, like, say that it was your dream to open up at McDonald's, you know, in your town. Oh, no. And then that's like six other people's dream. They're not going to give six McDonald's on Main Street. The city planner is not going to allow that. So how does that work? (laughs) So what you're saying is McDonald's is going to go away. <laughs> Better food for everybody. Uh, yeah, I, that's a really good question. This is something I would love to know the input f- of our listeners. How do you guys see this? Do you have answers for us? Because I think we've kind of hit a, a roadblock here. How exactly do you envision this working? Is it not too terribly different from what we experience in our world? Or is there something that we're missing that we're just not thinking of? Yeah, and like I'm sure that there are plenty of educated economists out there who city listen planners. to our show or city planners or people who have worked in architecture or, you know, development or anything like that. I'm sure that we have some listeners like that. So like if you are one of those people and you have some insight how to, it could potentially work, let us know. Please if do. any of this if if any of this episode pissed you off and if you like writing in, I don't <laughs> care. I'm not going to read it. So don't Aww. even bother. mean i'll read it i might not reply if you're really mean but you know constructive (laughs) criticism is always welcome how can people reach us tristan they can reach us by going to the nerdparty.com slash contact selecting punch it from the drop down menu you can fill out the form and it'll send us an email you can uh reach us through social media on facebook instagram and twitter just by going to the nerdparty.com all of that's on there 
You can find me personally on Twitter at the Insane Robin. And you can find me at Oh the Profanity. Now, we went a little outside of our wheelhouse this week because yeah. uh, normally we talk about writing in Star Trek. But this one, you know what? This was just a conversation we wanted to have that we needed to have. So we <laughs> talked about life in the 24th century. But we will return to writing next week and we will punch it. Ready for warp, sir. Let's punch it. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.